Hi, and welcome, or welcome back, to the Southside Baptist Church Podcast. You've probably heard the statement, great fences make great neighbors. Well, regardless of how you feel about that phrase, you've likely experienced the benefit of healthy boundaries in certain relationships, and the pain that comes with the lack of them in others. Join us for a sermon series exploring what the Bible teaches about boundaries. You know, what they are, how we should face them, what they teach us about God, and how we find the pleasant places he has for us inside of them. Enjoy. Well, I'm glad to be with you, even if it is an hour earlier. I was thinking if I had been, you know, on my game as far as planning, I would have planned the sermon on the boundary of time for this morning, and that might have been uh, more appropriate, but fewer of you would have heard it because obviously uh, the time change can throw us off. But we have been in a series for the last several weeks, and I know you're thinking, when is this series going to end? Well, the good news is today. Today's the last day of the series called Boundaries, and we have been covering lots of boundaries over the last eight weeks, uh, boundaries like time, boundaries like money, boundaries like relationships, sex and marriage, pain and suffering, temptation, all these different things in our life uh, that God uses as boundaries in our life to mark out for us and to show us the place where he has for us, a place of provision, of protection, a place where we can draw near to him. And this series really hasn't been as much about what God wants to keep from you as much as it has been a series about what God wants for you. And so I want us to look for, to, at a few verses from Psalm 16. This has been our theme verse throughout this entire series. Starting in verse 5 and 6 and then looking at verse 11. Let's look at this one more time as we wrap this series on boundaries up. If you're new to Southside, this is your first time with us, we're glad you're here. And actually, you'll be glad to know this sermon I actually wrote to be the introductory sermon to the series. Uh, but then I decided to make it the last sermon in the series. So now, if you if your first Sunday here, you can listen to this and then go back online and listen to all the others if you want to. So Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6, the Lord, that's important, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my life. Now, it's important to think about this because as we've been talking about this pleasant place that God's boundaries has marked out for us, the psalmist wants you to know that he is your pleasant place, that he's your inheritance. It's not what he has for you. It's not what he's giving you. It's not the answer to your prayers that it is him. God is your portion. He holds your cup. And then he goes on and says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, surely, I have a beautiful inheritance, those boundary lines that keep us near God. And then verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. It's like the boundaries are like guardrails on a highway, marking out the path. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, what's that last word? Forevermore. Now here's the great irony, and here's where I want us to land this plane when we talk about boundaries is that in fact, by living within the boundaries God has for you, he is actually providing for you an unlimited life. He is actually taking all the boundaries away. As you, mar as you live within the boundaries he's marked out for you, he is opening up for you an existence that is much more vast, that is much more expansive than you would ever otherwise have known. God doesn't give us boundaries to keep us away from anything but to draw us to himself. So throughout this series, um, if I've done my job, 
Um, I've made you uncomfortable at, at least once or twice. Um, for some of you, maybe it was the time we talked about sex and marriage. For others, maybe it was about money. For some of you, maybe it was time or, or relationships, or maybe it was about the Bible and God's word as a boundary. And maybe what made you feel uncomfortable is that something inside of you said, well, if I were to live within that boundary, there would be something I would lose, something I would give up, something I would not have. But God's word promises you something better. It says, in fact, within these boundaries is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Now, this is a paradox. By living within God's boundaries, we're experiencing the greatest freedom possible. And so... We have this idea in our mind, the enemy comes along and wants to tell us, you know what, just live outside of the boundaries. That's where freedom is. But in fact, God says, no, trust my boundaries and you will find a pleasant place. You'll find fullness of joy. So, for example, financial boundaries. You, you decide, you know what, I, I haven't been living this way, but I'm going to try to align my finances with the boundaries God marked out for me in his word when it comes to how I, how I think about my money. Well, within those boundaries, you find freedom from debt. You find, you find freedom from greed and consumerism. Or, or maybe for you it was the issue of time and you think, you know what? I'm going to live my life at a pace of an unhurried Savior. And so you live within the boundaries of time that God has given you. And, and we find that we, we live with a lot more peace. That we're present with our family that we can actually savor and enjoy life. Or, or maybe for you it was the issues of the boundaries of sex and marriage, and you find that within those boundaries there's freedom from shame, and there is a greater intimacy that you can enjoy as you live within those boundaries. So as we wrap it up, I want us to just step back away from these specific boundaries and take a look at the bigger picture. And, and the reason why this sermon was first is because I really felt like it framed the whole idea, but then I realized it was such a good summary of everything that you wouldn't have needed to hear anything else I said. So I thought, well, I'm going to give them all the other stuff first, and I'm going to save that message for last to make sure they keep coming for nine weeks. So, so that's why I, I switched it up just a little bit. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. Ultimately, God is offering us a life. Now listen to this. God is offering you a life without limitation that God really wants for you an abundant full life so the question is how do we enjoy this unlimited abundant life that God has for us well we're going to look at what Jesus said in John chapter 12 Mary read it for us earlier but before we get there I I want to just set this whole idea of boundaries up by talking about what God has done, because maybe it would be important for you to understand how God himself has chosen to live within boundaries in order for us to experience a full and abundant life. So what did God do? What did he do? Let's talk about that first. Basically, here is a truth. This, is, this really is a, 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 a truth we talk about a lot at Christmas time. The theological term for it is called the incarnation. But what that means is the, ultim, the unlimited God took on human limitations. God who is outside of time, God who is outside of space, God who is outside of any limitation that you and I could imagine, he chose to limit himself. He put himself within the confines of time and space and flesh, and the unlimited God took on human limitations. Listen to what John says in John 1.14. And the word, that is 
God, the word that was in the beginning that spoke and created everything, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of God who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The only way we were ever going to see God is if God limited himself into our time and into our space. Listen to the way Paul said it in Philippians 2. Jesus Christ, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So get this picture. The unlimited God, not only did he take on flesh and step into time and space and live within the confines, the limitations, the boundaries of time and space and our flesh, but he also lived under our laws. Galatians tells us that in the fullness of time, Jesus was born of a woman born under the law. In other words, he was born living within all these boundaries and confines that you and I live in, and this is just the air we breathe. This is just the way we live. But that's not the way God existed. God actually took on those limitations, and he came into our time. He came into our space. But it was more than that. That he even was limited in the fact that he who was all-powerful, he who was the creator, he who is majestic and above all things, subjected himself to obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. You don't get much more limited than that. As they nailed him to a cross, he was not just confined by time and space the way we are, he was confined not even by the nails that held him there, but by the love he has for us. Which brings us to the second question, why did he do it? Why, why did he do it? So that we, who were dead, might have abundant or unlimited life. You see, Jesus took on the limitations, took on the suffering, in order to free us from our limitations and from our suffering that sin and death has introduced into the world listen to something that jesus said a couple chapters before john 12 in john chapter 10 verse 10 jesus said these words the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have life and that little greek word we're going to come back to it in a minute is zoe just remember that some of you that's kind of a popular girl name right now zoe That they might have Zoe, they might have life, and they might have it how? Abundantly. That they might have it limitless. That they might have fullness, abundant life. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying, first of all, you've got to be aware that there is a thief who is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, the thief, one of the things the thief will do to steal and to kill and destroy is to convince you to ignore the boundaries The thief will say, spend it. The thief will say, rush through life in order to get more done. The thief will say, satisfy that lust. Satisfy that desire. Satisfy that hunger. After all, you have it for a reason. Why not satisfy it? The thief will say, ignore the pain. The thief will say, just medicate the pain. Just have a glass of wine. An extra glass of wine and another glass of wine. 
Just medicate the pain until the pain goes away. See, the thief will come to steal and kill and destroy. The thief will say, if it feels like freedom, then you should enjoy it. You should take hold of it. That's the best life. That's the abundant life for you. And while he's telling you this, so many times, by the world standards, it does appear to be, it does seem to feel like freedom, but in the end, it results in debt. It ends in broken relationships. It results in shame. It often results in guilt. But the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said that I came to offer abundant life, zoe. So how does he do this? Well, in John 10, he goes on and he tells us that he calls himself the good shepherd, meaning that we are sheep. And he talks about a pen. He says, in fact, that he is the gate to the sheep pen and that people are protected, they're they're corralled, that he is gathering the sheep together and he is protecting them. And in fact, it says that he is going to even lay down his life. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That something about our provision, something about our protection, something about our ultimate freedom is dependent on Jesus, the good shepherd, limiting himself, becoming a servant, and even dying so that we might experience the freedom. Now, Jesus' Jewish audience would have immediately understood this imagery. The idea of a shepherd, the idea of shepherds even coming from God to tend to the people Israel, God's flock, was something that is in the Old Testament. So his Jewish audience understood the imagery. They're God's people. In fact, they even recognized this idea related to the land they lived on, that God had taken and set out for them certain parcels of land. If you read through the book of Joshua and you get to the end and if you're reading through the Bible you might be tempted to skip over those parts where it's saying you know their boundary marker was from this river to that river and from this mountain range to that mountain range well one of the things that God was doing for the Israelites as they came into the land the pasture the field as their shepherd led them to that field he was marking out these places for them each tribe where each tribe was supposed to be so Jesus is speaking their language They understand this idea of of God apportioning out the land for their provision and for their protection. But there's something else that Jesus said that was very interesting in this. He, He also talked about another group of people who had begun to come and be interested in his teachings. You see, many, many Gentiles had started following Jesus. Now, the Jews would have said, hey, they aren't sheep. They're not part of the flock. And in fact, Jesus' ministry was primarily to Jews. But more and more, these Gentiles kept coming. And so Jesus said something interesting in John 10, 16. He said, guys, I've got sheep who are from other flocks that you don't really know anything about. In other words, he's saying, God is going to expand his territory. God is about to reach out beyond this flock. God is about to bring more and more and more people in. So this story, this story that began with God's redemptive mission, where he started with one man. Anybody know the name of the man? Who was it? Abraham. Good for you, because normally it's Moses or Jesus, and so that was a trick question. It was Abraham. Yeah, so Abraham was this one man, and God called him out, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. The problem was he didn't even have a son. But through the course of time, God gave him a son, and then that son turned into a family, and that family turned into a tribe, and pretty soon the tribe turned into a nation. And meanwhile, God's continuing to do his redemptive work through the nation of Israel. And Jesus says something is about to happen. 
God is about to expand his reach beyond just one people group, beyond just this culture, beyond just this region. He's about to expand and reach more people. So we get to John chapter 12, and some, something very interesting is going on. There's a group of Gentiles who come up, and they, they want to meet Jesus. And so they go up to Philip. Now, Philip was a Greek name, uh, and so that's probably why these Gentiles went to Philip, because they recognized, hey, Philip, he's got some either Greek influence, a Greek, maybe he's maybe his dad or mom, somebody in his family was Greek. So the Gentiles feel comfortable going up to Philip. And so they say, hey, we want to, what do we have to do to meet Jesus? We, we just want to, you know, have a quick conversation with him. So Philip goes to Andrew, another Greek name, by the way, and says, hey, Andrew, these guys want to meet Jesus. What do you think we ought to do? And so Andrew goes to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, um, we know you're really busy there's some Gentiles, and we know they're not Jewish, they're, you know, they're, they're, not part of our, they're not part of our crew, they're not part of our tribe, but they, they want to meet you, you think that's okay? What, what, what do you think? And so Jesus gives them this answer, and honestly, it's one of those verses in the Bible that when you read it in context, you just scratch your head and you're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Now, maybe you never feel that way when you read your Bible. I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, I don't know, what is he talking about here? So let's look at this because this is so important. Because listen, listen, what are we talking about? We're talking about how God has come and taken on limitations in order to give you an unlimited life. And I think what Jesus is about to say is so critical for us to understand this abundant limitless life that he has for us so let's look what he says chapter 12 verse 23 remember andrew and philip jesus some gentiles want to meet with you what do you think the hour has come jesus said for the son of man to be glorified truly truly i say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit philip looks over at andrew Andrew looks back at Philip. So does that mean you're going to meet with him or not? I mean, we don't really know. But why did Jesus say this? What was it about these Gentiles coming to Jesus and asking him this question that prompted him to say something so significant? The hour has come. Now, if you go back through the Gospels and you read and you look for, you just do a word study of the hour, what you will find is that many times Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. In fact, when Jesus was with his mother at a wedding and they ran out of wine, and Jesus' mom goes and says, hey, Jesus, do something about this. Jesus says, woman, which is probably not the best way to address your mom, (laughs) my hour has not yet come. And there are other times where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. So what is it about the fact that these Gentiles have come and asked him this question that Jesus says, you know what? That's my cue. It's time. The time has finally come. So the hour that he's talking about, when he's mentioning this idea of grains of wheat falling to the ground and dying, he's clearly talking about the crucifixion. The hour is referring to his death, that Jesus would be glorified through his death. So why, what is it about this that led him to say that? Time for what? What is it time for, Jesus? What hour has come? His crucifixion has come. He's saying that the time has come for me to die in order for life to be brought forth. 
A grain of wheat must die and be planted, and then it will reap a harvest. Do you ever realize the power of an acorn? Have you ever thought about this? Like, like you remember in, in preschool, anybody ever plant like an acorn in a, in a little cup and you watched it grow? I mean, did you think about the power of that acorn? That you put it in the ground and it grows and it becomes a tree, but ultimately that tree will produce enough acorns to become a forest. And before long, that, that forest can cover a continent. All from one acorn. But what has to happen? The acorn has to die in order for the harvest to come. The acorn has to die in order for the other acorns to come forth out of the other trees. And so one of the things that Jesus is saying here is he's saying the time has come. It is, it is time to be fulfilled. I must die. And listen to what he says in chapter 12, verse 32. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. What, is, what does Jesus mean by that? That, that, that? that the truth is, I didn't come just for the Jews. I came to bring life to everyone. I came in order that they all might have life and have it abundantly. And the fact that the Gentiles are now pursuing me means it's time. Because as my body is lifted up on the cross, I will draw not just Jews and not just these Romans but I will draw people living on a continent you can't even conceive of right now to myself. See, by surrendering to the cross, the most restrictive boundary of all, Jesus secured freedom for all who would believe in him. So how do we receive it? John 12, 25 says this, anyone who loves their life, now this is, this is where you have to stay with me. Everybody awake? Yep, all right. Anyone who loves their life, and the word there is psyche, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life, psyche, in this world will keep it for eternal life, zoe. Now, in our language, that's all one word. Life, 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 life. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, but it's zoe life. And in, and in this verse, John 12, 25, anyone who loses their life, who loves their life, their, their psyche, will lose their psyche. But anyone who, will, anyone who hates their psyche in this world will keep it, will keep their zoe, will keep their eternal life. So what is Jesus saying? If he came to offer us abundant life, if his death is somehow a seed being restricted to the point of death so that life can burst forth from that, how do we participate in that? What he's saying? First of all, it's important to know what he's saying in this word, what these two words for life are referring to. Psyche are things on the surface, temporary things, transient things. Zoe, however, refers to things that are deep that are unchanging in nature, that things that endure, okay? So when Jesus says, unless somebody hates his life, hate is a Jewish idiom that talks about in comparison. That, so, so in comparison, I hate my life, doesn't mean that you actually hate yourself. It just means in comparison to the better thing, it's hateful. So Jesus at one point said, you know, unless somebody hates his mother and father, he can't be my disciple. Well, Jesus clearly doesn't want you to hate your mom and dad. He just says, in comparison, in comparison to the love you have for me, in comparison to the loyalty you have for, loyalty you have for me, they should take second place. It, the, 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 it's a word of comparison. So he says, unless you hate your psyche life, you will not have your zoe life. 
So put the stuff on the surface of your life, second place, and put the Zoe of your life first, and you win it all. Let, let, me just, let me just try to outline this for you a little bit and compare the psyche life to the Zoe life, okay? So, so here's, here, here's what this looks like. The psyche life would be like the weather, okay? You came to church today, and we have a pretty nice day. It's the weather. I think we have a, do we have a chart for this? Yeah, so we have weather, and the, the weather is good. So the psyche life would be the weather. The Zoe life would be the sky. The sky doesn't change with the weather, Now, we think it does from our perspective, but the sky is the same. The weather is what's changing. So the psyche life would be like the surface of the sea. Sometimes it's rough. Sometimes it's smooth. The zoe life is the depth of the sea. It's always constant. The psyche life would be the picture of a sunset. Beautiful. Imagine the most beautiful portrait of the sunset you've ever seen. It's beautiful. The zoe life is the sun itself. The psyche life is a portrait The Zoe life is the person. The psyche life is the music. The Zoe life is the musician. The psyche life is like zero. The Zoe life is like one. Let me show you what I mean. So, now, everybody who knows me knows I'm not a numbers guy. I don't really do numbers well. But this illustration only requires me to know two numbers, one and zero, okay? All right, so Zoe life is a one. That's Zoe life. That's substance. That is the real thing. Psyche life is the surface. So psyche life might be the house you live in, the car you drive. Uh, Psyche life might be the, the career you've pursued. Uh, psyche life might be, uh, might be anything about your, your life, your, even, even to the extent of your family. That's your psyche life. It's what's on the surface. Now, here's, here's what Jesus is basically saying. If, if I have a one here, and that represents the Zoe life, the substance, the real thing, okay? This is what is real. This is what is unchanging. Circumstances don't change this. Situations don't change this. Emotions don't change this. This is what is substantive. This is what is real, Okay? But if I take and I put a zero before it, what do I have? What? One. Now, let's just say that I add a lot of zeros. Okay, so my house, my car, my kids, my, you know, my career, my 401k. What if I, what if I keep adding zeros? What do I have? Still have one. What Jesus said, though, is if you hate your psyche life in comparison to your Zoe life, meaning that you prioritize your Zoe life, you put it first, what happens when I put a zero here? Ten. What happens if I add another zero? Very good. What happens if I add another zero? Okay, you get the point? So in order, for, in order for anything in my psyche life to have value, it has to come after the one. See, this is the only boundary you ever need to know, which is why I decided it shouldn't be the first message because then you wouldn't have come back. 
Jesus said, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be what? Added to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. In other words, the job's not bad. All those things aren't bad things. But if you're putting them before the one, they will amount to nothing. If you put them after the one, if you put them in the proper place, if you live in the right boundary, the God-first boundary, then suddenly all those things have exponentially more value because of where they're placed. And this is not new. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. But think about the very first commandment. What was the very first commandment that, that, that God gave Israel? What was it? Do you remember? Let me help you out. We'll put it up on the screen. You shall have what? No other God before me. You think, well, I don't have any other God before him. Well, first of all, God knew there are no other gods. He knows that. But what do we do? We make our career a God. We make our GPA a God. We make the college we get into a God. We make our house a God. We make our retirement a God. We make all these other things. We make our husband, our wife a God. We make our kids our God. And we put all these things first. And Jesus says you will lose every one of them. But, but, if you will put them in the proper place, if you will put all the zeros behind the one, they will have exponential value. The boundary is God first, and the reward is the abundant life you were meant to live. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. See, here's what you need to know. If you want to live the abundant life that Christ has come to offer you, you have to die to self. And live for him. And the great paradox is in doing that, you don't lose anything. But you gain the unlimited abundant life he has for you. This morning I wonder, what are some zeros in your life that maybe you've placed before the one? I want everybody to open your bulletin. Everybody grab one of these, open it up. I I want you to look inside here at this... uh, At the inside, there's a post-it note, very carefully cut and perfectly placed. (laughs) Thank you to our volunteers who do that. Vicki, thanks. I know that was not a fun job. Uh, Here's what I want you to do. Grab a pen. There should be a pen somewhere around you. Uh, Everybody do it. Come on. Everybody's doing it. And and I want you to take, and I want you on that post-it note right now to write down anything, and it could just be an initial if you don't want to show somebody. It could be an initial. It could be in code, however you want to do it. Anything in your life right now, anything in your life that you have placed before the one, just list them out. What is it? Maybe for you, maybe it's just spending time online. Maybe it's how much TV you're watching. Maybe it's the way you're spending your money. Maybe it has something to do with a relationship. I don't know. What is it for you? What is it? Anything in your life that you're placing before the one. And now I want to ask you this question. Are you willing, and you don't have to do it today, but are you willing to pray 
and move this post-it from before the one to after the one. What would that mean for you? Listen, you're not, it doesn't mean you lose any of it. It just means you put it after the one you seek first his kingdom. For some of you who are here today, the truth of the matter is you, you have been living what the world would say is a limitless life, but inside you know that you are enslaved to sin. And I wonder if today you would just invite Jesus to take first place in your life so that you could have the full and abundant life he came to give you. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to sing a song. And while we're singing this song, maybe you would just sit in reflection and fill out that post-it note. Maybe for some of you, you would want to come up here and maybe even lay your post-it notes on the steps if that's your way of demonstrating putting it in the right perspective. Maybe you just move it over to the right side of the one. Maybe you'd come and pray with me, pray with another prayer partner about what this means for you. But I pray today as we continue to worship and as we continue to seek God's direction that you, you will embrace the life, the abundant life Jesus has for you by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust him that all these other things will be added to you as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the promise of abundant, eternal, limitless life. And yet, Lord, it's impossible to consider that promise without also recognizing the price that you paid for it and our own willingness to place you first in our hearts and in our life. And today, Lord, all throughout this room, there are people, all of us, who struggle on a daily basis to keep our zeros after our one. So Lord, today I pray that we might just be reminded that your boundary markers have fallen for us in pleasant places that you have a delightful, beautiful, abundant, limitless inheritance for us when we live within the boundary of keeping you first in our heart and our life. So Lord, today I pray that in a way of commitment, whether that's just on a piece of paper, whether that's at these steps, whether that's praying with me, that we will, that we will renew our commitment. For others, maybe today they make a first-time commitment to put Jesus first in all things and to live within that boundary marker in the abundant limitless life you have offered us we thank you for it in jesus name amen thank you for listening if you live in the jacksonville area we'd love to engage with you during our wednesday or sunday gatherings here on campus if you haven't already please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast and download our free app by searching ssbc jacks in the app store or in google play you can get access to our recent messages and keep up with all that's going on here at southside for directions for service times and information about our wonderful next-gen children environments please visit us at ssbc.org